0: This morning's message is timely. Um, You know, there's, this morning we're going to see, well, the the message, the title of the message is God's Mercy Invites Us to Pray. And um, there's just some things that happened. If you all saw on Facebook that uh, uh, Dave Welch posted that um, uh, his company is letting all the developers go. And so, um, he's going to have to try to find a new job here. And, you know, that's right in the middle of them having had put a contract on the house. And um, so, um, and then here we are praying for the situation this morning. And, um, but there's so many things that we, we need to pray for. And honestly, in preparing this message, I was deeply convicted. Um, and uh, you, you all might come away the same way as we see Abraham's example of his interaction with the Lord. Um, So we're going to finish the last half of Genesis 18 this morning. Uh, Last week, we looked at the question, is anything too hard for God? And even could a woman past childbearing age bear her first child? And we saw a God nurturing the struggling faith of Sarah. We saw how he draws near to us, how he knows our thoughts, how he reveals his plans to us. We saw how God persisted in drawing us to faith, and he knows that we're frail people. He knows that we struggle, and particularly how we struggle when he makes promises or declares things that are beyond our understanding. Um, so if you'll turn with me to Genesis 18 this morning, we're going to read, um, the. I'll read the whole passage that we're going to be looking at today, Genesis 18, verses 16 through the end of the chapter. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know." So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked." far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again. But this once, suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. (coughs) All of chapter 18 is really about God. It's a portrait um, that displays for us how God interacts with human beings, how he interacts with those whose faith is in him, how he interacts with those who struggle in their faith, how he interacts with those who reject him, and we'll see how this one man who knows God will intercede on behalf of a city. Um, Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. And um, I took that uh, from the King James Version because I like how it uses the word plenteous in mercy because that word plenteous just sounds like, it sounds really like a word picture to me of what the word, the actual meaning is. The meaning of that word is is abounding or exceedingly just you know like 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 when you're well more like when I'm like cooking on the stove or something and 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 leave the lid on or something, and then the pot just starts water everything starts overflowing all over the place, but that's that's the idea is is God is plenteous in mercy <clears throat> and it's actually the same word that's used here when it says the outcry. Against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. It's that same word. Their outcry is great. Excuse me. So, this morning, we're going to focus primarily on the mercy of God and the impact that the mercy of God had on Abraham and what impact it should have on us. And we're going to see a number of ways that God displays his mercy in his interaction with mankind. And because the Lord is merciful, As we work through the passage, some of the things we'll see are God is a God who exercises mercy even in the midst of judgment. We're going to see that here. We're going to see that God is approachable. We're going to see that God is receptive to the intercession of his people, and we're going to see that he's a God that, you know, where um, Peter said we can cast our cares on him. He is absolutely a God that we can cast our cares on. So let's, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, our hearts are heavy this morning, Lord, um, and um, God, I pray that um, that Your grace would be uh, with Taylor, and um, Lord, that You would uh, just hold him in Your hands, God, and You would You would take care of him right now and um use the medics to um and doctors to um discern what is um going on there and um lord i pray that you would just um uh, give grace to his family and siblings lord as I'm sure they're very concerned about him and um gotta just pray that you would uh uh, cause things to come out um, um, good, Lord, that they can um, be together this afternoon. They can, they can, they can be home, Lord. But I just pray, God, that you would you would help res- resolve this, Lord, in a in a way that they would desire in their hearts. And Lord, as we study your word this morning and look at your mercy, God, I pray that you would um, work in our hearts, Father, and. Teach us, um, as that song says, show us Christ, Lord. That's what we want to see this morning is, is you in this passage and, um, and how that motivated Abraham to intercede for people. Show us um, what you want to show us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> and really, if the Lord weren't merciful, there'd be no point in interceding. There'd be no point in just praying what we just prayed, if God were not merciful. And he displays his mercy, first of all, by the fact that he talks to man at all. Um, You know, we see in this passage that God came down in human form, and he talked with audible voice to Abraham. Um, God talks to man. Um, I just want that to sink in for a moment. Uh, the creator of the universe talks to man. And I think sometimes we take that for granted. Um, you know, in our day and age, we have, everyone here probably has God's words in their lap or on their phone or in some kind of device. And it's, it's, it's so common to us that we forget how extraordinary it really is that God would even bother to talk to man. Um, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So God came in human form and spoke to man, not just to Abraham but for 33 years as Christ walked the earth. That's just extraordinary if we think about that. We might wanna just think about that this week and and praise God for the fact that he he communicates with man. Um, Another extraordinary mercy from God is that he does not leave us in silence when he is not appearing in human form or speaking through a prophet. But no, he has anointed us by the Holy Spirit and you don't have to turn here. I've got it written down. I'm going to read this verse from 1 John 2. Um, and this would even be before the believers there had a bound book of God's word to themselves. They just pass it around through through um, sharing with one another what the Lord said to them. But here's what John said in 1 John 2 when he's warning the believers about Antichrist. He says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One talking about the Holy Spirit, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And skipping forward a few verses, he continues, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. I love that verse. I love that verse that it says um, that you have no need that anyone should teach you. I mean, that's a verse that we need to uh, we need to remember. We need to memorize. Um, Someday, if if this country, if we ever get to the point where we have trials and we're put in prison or something where where, you know, we're like, hey, can I take this? And they're like, no, just get in that solitary confinement. The point is we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the Word of God in us, and that is enough. Not only that, but For us, he left us his word. And as it says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So here where God is, well, we'll see that he's he's commanding Abraham to guide his family in righteousness and justice. In our day and age, we have the very words of God bound here before us. And he says that, It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And um, that is just a mercy of God for us. And not only that, but we also have it in our own language. And the fact that we have Bibles that are translated in English. These are tremendous gifts of the mercies of God that we need to um, thank Him for. Just ponder and thank Him for this week. So God also displays his mercy in that when God speaks to man, he reveals his purposes and plans. We're going to see this in the next few verses. Um, A better way I'd like to say this is God will reveal to us his purposes and plans as needed to enable us to accomplish his will. In other words, God is not going to play hide and seek with information that we need to accomplish his will for us. He's not going to like try to play a game with us and keep it hidden um, from us. So I'm gonna reread just these verses 16 through 19. Then the men set out from there <clears throat> and they looked down toward Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So if we're kind of like looking at from the outside, looking in here, what we see is that the the Lord begins to ponder and he he begins to think. uh, And I want us to notice that after this extended farewell between the Lord and Abraham, there's a confidence forged, and many commentators believe that Abraham walked with the Lord about three miles to, to this place where, where Abraham stops. I don't know where they get that, but, uh, but I read it in different, different commentaries, and, uh, and so um, it would make sense kind of that they, they walked for a while, and um, they believe that they walked to this place that overlooked the valley to where one could look down on the cities in the valley that, um, that uh, where Sodom was and Gomorrah. Um, so we know that um, from history that the Oaks of Mamre, Mamre was in or near modern-day Hebron, which is about 3,000 feet above sea level, and the Dead Sea area where Sodom was considered to be was about 1,000 feet below sea level. So you have a 4,000-foot, you know, between the ridge that they might have been standing on and looking down. Um, so it was not a stretch to think that they could look down um, and see the cities in the valley many miles in the distance, which, again, some commentators believe that the cities in the valley were uh, roughly around 15 miles away from, from where Mamre was. Um, has anyone ever been to Albuquerque? You have? No. <laughs> Well, have you ever ridden that tramway? You have? Okay. So so I, I, was, I, so I go to Albuquerque a lot for business, and um, I had never ridden that tramway, and finally I went with some coworkers, and they were like, hey, let's ride that tramway up to Sandia Peak because Albuquerque is actually at an elevated – the city is actually at like 5,000 feet, kind of like Denver's elevated. Um, but then they have this little mountain they call Sandia Peak, and it's about ten thousand feet. So they have this tramway that, um, at the base of the mountain, that uh, will take you up uh, to the top of the peak. And um, and when when I was at the top of the peak, you look down and you basically the Rio Grande runs through Albuquerque. And even though it's at five thousand feet, it looks like a big valley. And um, I'm sure that that I that you can see for at least 15 miles from that peak as you look across the valley and then it's, you're just looking out towards Phoenix. And, um, and you know who knows how far you can look on a, on a clear day, but I'm sure it's at least 15 miles. So it's not a stretch to think that this is what they were doing. So the Lord is either thinking out loud or maybe he's talking to the two angels, but either way, it appears that he intends for Abraham to hear him Because he says in verse 17, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? And this word means to conceal. Should I keep this thing back from Abraham? In other words, what he's saying is, There is a relationship that I have with Abraham. He's walked with me for all these years. We have this relationship. And as a reference, you might write down Isaiah 41.8. It's when God is talking through Isaiah, and he says... But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. This is where we see in the Bible where um, Abraham is called God's friend. So the Lord was going down to Sodom, and he knew what he was going to do. And he could possibly be thinking, should Abraham find out through the grapevine, the Lord considered that a breach of friendship. And he said, this man needs to know what my intentions are. And then the Lord reasons further, and you might want to write down some cross-references. Psalm twenty-five, fourteen, and 1 Corinthians 2, 11, and 12, there we're told in Psalm 25 that the Lord confides in those who fear him. Um, I like it actually better in the, in the New American Standard because it says the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. I don't know why, probably because we're people that like to like, oh, tell me a secret you know, or something, so you think that you're getting something special, you know, but I like that the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. And then in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that the Spirit of God reveals to us the mystery of God. And so it's not totally out of character for God, that he wants to unveil to Abraham what his plans are, and then he gives the three reasons why he's going to confide in Abraham. He says, number one, Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So Abraham's going to be a blessing. Abraham was also, matter of fact, chosen. Verse 19 says, for I have chosen him. And then the last point, the last reason that I'm going to confide in him is because Abraham needs to command his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. In other words, what the Lord is saying is, this is a man who is going to lead his family And he needs to see what went on in this city so that he can teach his children about my plans and about my purposes. Seeing as I've called him out, he needs to know how to lead his family. He needs to know how to guide people into righteousness and justice. He needs this information. And so the Lord tells Abraham what he's about to do. As a sidebar, just a a quick tangent takeaway from this. Um, for those who are parents here, um, our role is also to teach our children to keep the way of the Lord, as, as God said here to Abraham. So, um, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. And that's what we as parents, it's, it's, really we have that same command from the Lord. And as I stated before, because of God's mercy to us, we have his word in our day and age. And the Bible serves as the best training manual that we could ever have. We can teach our children the way of the Lord because it is right before our very eyes. In fact, you know, like I just I shared that verse before, it says that scripture, one of the purposes of it is for training in righteousness. So it's a mercy in our time, in our era, era that we have uh, the word of God to be able to teach our children the way of the Lord. Um, one commentator said it this way The household should be so ordered as to carry the conviction to our children's minds that the knowledge, the love, and the service of God is the great business of life to which everything else is to be subservient. Your job, your income, your sports, your entertainment, schooling, your hobbies, your life, subservient. And as we continue and as we begin to look at Abraham's intercession, our greatest aim as parents should be to intercede on behalf of our children so that they may find acceptance by God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the Lord tells Abraham that he is going to go down to Sodom and inspect the city to validate this outcry that he's hearing. And the word of the Lord uses for their sin, when he said that it was grave, or the word that the Lord uses uh, for their sin when he said that it was grave is this word. Um, I probably won't pronounce it right, but it's kavod. Um, I was trying to listen to a translator. Kind of said it could be kaved. Uh, maybe guys who took Old Testament, you know, know what it is. But um, but it's the same word that's used throughout the Old Testament to describe how we are to. Glorify and honor God. And it means to give much weight uh, to. It implies a heaviness, uh, a weightiness. In other words, what, what God was saying is their sin, their, their outcry is great and their sin is very, very weighty. Their sin is very, very heavy. But I think another mercy we see in this passage of God is that He says, that he is going to take the time to inspect what's going on. Of course, we know uh, that he is God, and so he knew what was going on. But if you think about it, for Abraham's sake, his actions that Abraham now is privy to, he's going to demonstrate to Abraham that he is a just judge. He doesn't just fly off the handle and wipe wipe the city out. He says that he's going to inspect what's going on, and I think this is as much for Abraham's sake as it it speaks to the character of the Lord. I want us to see here that the text does not say what the Lord is going to do in response to his inspection, so he's not really telling Abraham, when I find what I see, this is what I'm going to do, Um, but Abraham doesn't live that far from Sodom, and I think that he knows what the Lord is going to find, um, he knows that the Lord is not going to like what he sees, and he very likely assumes judgment is going to pour out on those people. And so I think this is what motivates him uh, to intervene. So now we're going to see an intervening faith. And I like this. Actually, um, in James, the book of James, James is talking about Abraham when he's comparing. Faith without works and uh, faith and works. Um, And he's not using this example per se, uh, um, but I think it kind of fits with this example too. So I'm going to read this verse in James 2.18. It says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And I personally think, this is just maybe it's just my opinion, but I think that when we pray, when we intercede with the Lord on behalf of people, in no other way is our faith more evidenced or demonstrated. Um, sometimes when I kind of like want to do a check of walking in faith, I think, how's my prayer life? You know, am I praying? Um, do I really have faith? If I really have faith, I'd be praying up a storm, you know? Um, so let's look at the content of Abraham's amazing intercession. And um, I've kind of boiled this down to five Ps. Um, one of them I had to kind of squeeze into a P, but I'll talk about that later. Um, so here's five Ps here to note about Abraham's prayer. <clears throat> the first thing that we can see is that it was personal. Abraham's prayer was personal. In verse 22, when it says that after the two men turned from there and proceeded towards Sodom, those words, but Abraham still stood before the Lord, have the meaning that Abraham kind of deliberately lingered around the Lord. And then it says in verse 23 that Abraham wasn't content to stand around the Lord, but Abraham drew in close. To the Lord. maybe you've had a conversation like this before um, where a bunch of people are sitting in a room, maybe <clears throat> around a dining room table or something, and um, and there's someone wants to tell you something intensely personal, so they kind of come around the, the, the room, the, uh, the dining room table there and they kind of pull up a chair, sidle up right next to you, and then they like lower their voice. And uh, they quiet their voice, and you definitely understand that they're about to share with you something that's of utmost importance to them and serious. I'm sure that you all have experienced that. And that's, that is, in a sense, what's going on here is Abraham lingered because um, he had something to say. He wanted to talk to the Lord, and then he just kind of like sidles up right next to the Lord um, because he's got something serious to, to ask. And God's mercy allows Abraham to do this. Again, we see that God's mercy, that he is approachable. Um, He allows us to get deeply personal with him. And uh, he knows the number of hairs on our head. I mean, I think we have verses like that in his word to show us his character, that he is that intensely personal and wants to be intensely personal with us. This is what intercession is. It is personally coming up close and personal with the Lord and allowing your grave and personal and intimate concerns to be shared with him. Um, The second P is that we see that Abraham's conversation with the Lord is purposeful. He appeals to the nature of God. He appeals to God's reputation. Um, He asks the Lord Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And then he appeals to God's character twice when he says, Far be it from you to do such a thing. Far be that from you. Abraham is a man that has grown so intimately acquainted with the Lord that he's appealing to the Lord like, Lord, everything I know about you is different than this. And I know what's going to happen. You're going to go down there and find wickedness all over the place. But if you find 50 people that are calling on your name, are you going to wipe them out too? Will not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And I think what we can learn from Abraham's heart here is that he's got this amazing passion for the glory of God. He's concerned for God's glory. He's concerned for God's reputation. And may we have the same passion. As a sidebar here, I find it ironic that people today in our culture look at this incident and, and say that God is unrighteous for judging Sodom, um, but here in this passage, and I hope that you all are seeing what I'm seeing, but what I see is that he was being so merciful to Sodom uh, that it validates actually the righteousness and justice of God. As we see by the end of Abraham's intercession, God could have spared the city for the sake of ten righteous people. Um, and I don't know what the population was, um, you know, but 10 was probably a minuscule number compared to the, the whole population. Um, I, um, I want to read um, from Romans three twenty one through 26, because this, this verse, these verses just show um, how just God is and how much god actually cares about being a just god a god who is righteous and just so romans 3:21 through 26 <clears throat> but now the righteousness of god has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of god through faith in jesus christ for all who believe For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a substitute um, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I'm not going to say this as as eloquently as, as John Piper did, but if you get time, there's an article called um, the Just and the Justifier that you can get from the Desiring God website. And the takeaway is that God would not be just if he had not provided a way for mankind to become justified. In other words, he, he created mankind. Um, he knew Adam and Eve would turn away from him. And what he's saying here is he would not be just If he had not provided a way to provide this gift um, for man to become justified, but he does. And the truth is that destruction is not God's desire. And man can be justified with God by accepting the gift of redemption by faith. I think the more that I come to know God, just like Abraham did, um, the more I grow to love him. And... um, Personally, I think it's because I just become more conscious of my unworthiness and more conscious of how sinful my heart is. And um, one of my favorite hymns, uh, I don't know why, it's probably because I just resonate with it, is, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And when we get to that, um, those verses that say, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. It's just like there's this constant um, pull um, to, to be that person. But as I grow in the realization of my sinful heart, I also grow in the realization of how merciful God is and how his grace is like an endless spring. And um, so most of the time it's with tears that I finish the verse of that song. It says, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Thank God that he is merciful. Thank God that his grace has no end. The third P we see is that Abraham's prayer was persistent. Abraham begins exploring now the deep mercies of God. Um, Maybe Abraham was somewhat surprised here by God's answer to his first request of sparing the city for the sake of 50 righteous and I mean surprise in a good way that God would say yes so easily to the first number he offered up. Um, not surprised in a bad way, um, like the last time that I tried to negotiate buying a used car. Um, here I was, dad, and going to show Troy, like, this is what you do when you buy a car, okay? So learn, son. Um, So I found this car from Greenwood Auto Plaza, this old Toyota Corolla with high mileage and it was um, on sale for $1,500 on the website. So I said, okay, watch and learn. This is how you do it. So I went to the bank and I got out $1,500 in $100 bills and um, I walk in there with $1,000 and I say, you know, watch this, you just flash the cash in front of their face, and then they just, you know, melt, and uh, so I go in there, and I say, hey, I'll give you $1,000, and I just, you know, kind of fan the money out, here you go, $1,000 for that, and he's like, nope, $1,500, so I was like, okay, then, we don't have a deal, and got up and walked out, but um, I really wanted that car, so Troy and I get in our car, and we um drive about a mile down the road to Quick Trip. And um and I think, man, that didn't work. <laughs> so um so we wait five minutes, we get a drink. We go back down there and I walk in there and I fan out twelve hundred dollars and I say, Okay, twelve hundred dollars, you know, for the car. He's like, Nope, fifteen hundred. And then I was like how about fourteen hundred? He's like, nope, fifteen hundred, and I said, okay, here's fifteen hundred. <laughs> so, um, in that case, uh, <laughs> he showed me who was the boss that day, and Troy didn't learn anything. <laughs> um, but it was that man's persistence to hold the line that paid off, not not mine. Uh, that was a bad, uh, a, a bad example. But in Abraham's interaction with the Lord, he was persistent upon God's mercy. Um, And I think we can learn to be persistent upon God's mercy. He was like, you mean you wouldn't destroy it for 50? What if there were just five off that number? And the Lord says, I would not destroy that city for the sake of 45. Hmm. What about 40? wouldn't destroy it for the sake of 40. Hmm. What about 30? No, wouldn't destroy it for the sake of 30. And he gets all the way down to 10. Six times Abraham persists in exploring or seeking the Lord, uh, the, seeking the mercy of God. And, and the Lord's response really is absolutely, I would not destroy that city for the sake of 10 righteous. Um. And the fourth P we see is that Abraham's prayer was pleading. And um, what I mean by this is there was a humility to it. Um, you see all these phrases in, in this text here where um, Abraham is like, uh, Lord, I am but dust and ashes. Oh, Lord, please don't be angry. Lord, I will speak again just one more time. And then this word, Suppose that he uses is really a humble word. Um, he uses the word "suppose." Um, suppose this. Suppose that. Um, and that word is 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 this word that's like kind of like this. Lord, if there's just half a chance that you would please consider what I'm asking, it's a very humble term. Um, <clears throat> and I think of. Um, the verse that we have in Corinthians that talks about um, or Hebrews, uh, because we have a great high priest, we can boldly approach the throne of God, but it's not like boldly approach it in a, in a haughty manner, an arrogant manner, because it says boldly approach that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. It's, it's boldly approach the throne in a humble manner, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so now the petition is finished, um, but I think this is really cool. And um, uh, David's going to be taking um, Genesis 19, but uh, I'm going to just share one verse in there that uh, this, there's one more P, and it came after the intercession, and I think we can learn from it as well. Um, and so I, I use this word, presume, um, that word, you know, that's the one I was like, well, presume, What's what I'm trying to get at is that Abraham prayed and he is waiting expectantly for an answer. So it's not presume in a bad way, like, oh, I'm presuming upon God. Um, it's more what I'm trying to get at is he's waiting expectantly for an answer, and over in Genesis 19, I think this is is really neat. It just shows Abraham's faith, really, again. It says in 1927, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley... God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. And, you know, like I said before, commentators think that he might have walked with Abraham about three miles to this overlook. And um, I just think it's neat to think that Abraham, he, he interceded and he prayed and he asked the Lord these things and, and he thought, I'm going to wake up early tomorrow morning. I'm going to run down to that spot and I'm just going to watch and see what the Lord's going to do. Um, I don't think we have really a record in the Bible of m- maybe it, it is there. Maybe we'll find it uh, coming up in the chapters ahead. But I don't. I don't re- recall where Abraham ever learns that Lot was saved um, from this. But <clears throat> I hope he did. I hope that Abraham did. Um, Learn through the grapevine, or or maybe Lot's family came and visited him, or something, that uh the Lot was saved <clears throat> through this incident. Um, but may we, when we pray, have that same sense of expectancy that Abraham had. That's that's the uh the takeaway here. I think sometimes sometimes we pray and Again, like I said, it demonstrates faith to have that sense of expectancy. When we pray expectantly, then it shows God that, like, you really really are expecting me to answer this. You're expecting, you know, as opposed to just like, well, I'm just going to pray, but that's where I'm going to stop. I mean, it it goes beyond that. So what was the final outcome? Um, As we see the city was destroyed— but everybody who wanted deliverance got it. And that's, the, that's an important point. Um, everyone who wanted deliverance in that city received deliverance. Um, so here's some applications for us. What is this story a picture of for us? So one, it's a picture of biblical prayer. Um, this is biblical prayer of the righteous for the righteous. Abraham was praying for the sake of the righteous. Um, here's some other verses that you could look up um, about praying for the righteous, Psalm 34, 15 through 18, James 5, 16, Colossians 1, 9 through 12. We see how Paul prays for the righteous people in Colossae. But also this is um, a picture of prayer for sinners, for for unbelievers, in Philemon 1:6 and in 1 Timothy 2:1 through 4, Paul is urging us to pray for the success of the gospel among unbelievers. And God's heart for the unbelieving is so far beyond what we could know. And I know that it can be a challenge to God's people sometimes to pray for those whose actions might otherwise disgust us, but we need to pray to have Jesus' heart. I mean, it's, it's if you just think about really how the Pharisees accused Jesus of being a friend to sinners, he says, like, he eats with, with, with publicans. I, off the top of my head, don't know what a publican is, but um, it's like, what is it? Oh, I thought someone said <laughs> a tax collector but it's like they were the worst of the worst. It's like they were disgusting people or something. And um, <clears throat> and Jesus, Jesus was such a friend to them and that the Jews hated him for it. And we need to be praying for these sinners that they would come to faith in him because just like those in Sodom, if you truly wanted deliverance, God would not have denied it for you. <clears throat> and I'll be honest, um, you know, I talked about, uh, <clears throat> praying for uh, the sake of the righteous and praying for unbelievers. Um, I don't know why, but, but I struggle the most with having a merciful heart for those who, who claim to know Christ or maybe who once claimed to know Christ, but, but, but knowingly now live in outright rebellion towards him. And, and to me, that's the hardest group of people to pray for for me. But um, I don't know if that's difficult for you also, but um, I know that I need to pray for my own heart to change toward these people, and um, God has brought this verse to, my, to me. He showed me this verse that I want to share with you all um, <clears throat> in 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 <clears throat> to understand what's going on in the big picture, in the spiritual warfare picture, that we're not um, thinking, oh, that person. You know, it's not that person. It's spiritual warfare. And Second Timothy two twenty four through twenty six says, "And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone." And I don't want us to miss that everyone able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So this is, we can intercede for people um, that, that um, God would grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Um, but in the meantime, we must not be quarrelsome. We must not be sarcastic. Um, we must not be arrogant. Um, we must patiently endure evil. And we, if we have anything to say, we must do it with gentleness. And then last, this story is a picture of Jesus Christ. The Lord looked upon this huge world of ours and thought, can I spare the world for the sake of the righteous? And do you know how many righteous people in the world he found? None. There were no righteous people here. Romans chapter 3 says there are none righteous, not even one. And so the Lord Jesus Christ became that one. He took on flesh. He came to this earth. He lived an utterly perfect, righteous life so that then God could look out on the earth and say, I'm going to spare people for the sake of my righteous one. And everyone who truly wants to be delivered will be. If you remember Nineveh, kind of in contrast to Sodom, it was a wicked city also. But when given the opportunity to repent, it did, and it was not destroyed. Matthew twenty four forty six says, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So let us go from here today, committing to intercede for believers and unbelievers alike, until the Lord returns. And may we marvel at the goodness and the mercy and the grace of our God to where intercessory prayer would become a norm A consistent pattern in our walk with the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I was just really convicted this week, God, of just seeing, just really seeing your mercy, one, in Abraham's heart for the people. Lord for the righteous and the unrighteous Lord <clears throat> and um and then doing something about it <clears throat> and um speaking to you about it Lord and um God I just pray that that um you would help us God to have this heart that Abraham had to have the heart that we know that you have on behalf of all people and that we might um, intercede on their behalf to, to um, call out for your mercy on their behalf, Lord, because we know that is who you are. That is your character, and Lord, may we just um, may we just take heed to that verse that says to come boldly before Your throne that we may um, find mercy and and grace to help in time of need. And and we know that there, are, I mean, we're needy, but there's so many others that we can be praying for that are needy. God, I just pray that you'd um, change us in a way that we would not just be the same people after um, learning about these things, Lord. I pray that I would not be the same person um, after you speaking to me about these things. Lord, I pray that you'd lead our discussion time, and that we would learn from one another. In Jesus' name, amen.